Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. Our team worked hard to put this sermon together with you in mind, and we hope it helps you take your next step with Jesus. Enjoy. Let's hear it for the setup crew, you know, all the folks that make the service happen, and um, yeah, so it's pretty cool. And uh, so greetings to those of you that are on, joining us online, and uh, for those of you with Cornerstone Inside, those of you on all of our other campuses, and uh, that you're meeting today and worshiping, it. Um, so it's, uh, it's great to be part of Cornerstone. And this series has been awesome. Uh, I'm excited to talk about Jesus next weekend, but I'm going to miss this last four uh, weekends where we talked about the Holy Spirit. And uh, the last time I talked about the Holy Spirit, we were talking about Pentecost, uh, when after ascending to heaven, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to baptize those first believers. And it changed them drastically uh, because from then on, Christians could experience God's empowering presence in every situation uh, they were in. God dwelling among his people, giving them everything they needed to bring um, heaven to earth. So today we're going to go further back before Pentecost in history to the Old Testament because Pentecost was not the first time that God dwelt in the midst of his people. The first time that the Holy Spirit lived with people 24-7 was out in the wilderness uh, just after he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. I think most of us are familiar with the story of how Jacob's descendants served as Egypt's slaves for four uh, centuries until Moses came and demanded their freedom. And the Old Testament book of Exodus is the account of how they left Egypt and went out into uh, the wilderness. A wonderful release from bondage, but uh, a pretty stark wilderness that they went out to. Great to be free, but now uh, they're surviving day by day. So go with me to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter 33, where after receiving the Ten Commands, along with many other instructions of how this infant nation would be different than any other nation, in Exodus 33:7 we read that Moses set up what he called a tent of meeting. And this tent was where Moses would meet with God Face to face. He would enter the tent and God's spirit would descend so they could talk. And in one of these conversations, God had said to Moses, or at least hinted, that he might not be going on with them. And Moses just wasn't having it. If your presence doesn't go with us, he says, we're not going anywhere. We'll just stay here. Uh, we won't move unless you move. We wouldn't know where to go. We wouldn't know why we would go. Life would have little purpose without you at the center of our nation. We want to we live like this. We want to be known for this by other nations, that we are the tribe with their God living with them in the middle. And uh, God really liked that. And he promised Moses that day to always 
be with them. Now, this is a powerful thought that a nation or any group of people for that matter could just decide that they were never going to move forward into any plan uh, without evidence that God is moving with them, that God is blessing this, that it was God's idea in the first place, that God is traveling before them, but also traveling among them, directing their steps. This thought grabbed me this week, and it still hasn't let go, that my family and my church should never move forward with any plan independent of asking for, for God, the evidence that God is, this is God's plan. And even as we step out, even if we feel sure that it's God's plan, asking God, hey, go before us and close any doors that aren't your will. You know, Christians, when they're young, they pray for open doors. God, open the doors. Christians, as they mature, they pray for closed doors. <laughs> God, don't let us go through something that looks good to us. Just keep it simple. We're not that smart, Lord. Give me one option. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I just wonder how many times in the past we have moved forward with plans without asking for, the God, for, for, for God's plan. Or, even, or we move forward and then we ask for his help. I mean, we put our heads together. We, we called in the experts. We considered all the options. And then when we felt good about what we decided, we got busy working our plan. And maybe as an afterthought, we offered up a quick prayer, asking God to bless what we'd already decided to do. How foolish that is. To have as our God, the God who calls himself the guide, the advisor, the friend, and then not to take him up on that. How backwards it is to come up with a plan on our own and then ask God to bless it. Uh, uh. You know, I, there's a lot of us that have chosen Jeremiah 29, 11 as one of our life verses. How many of you would say, Jeremiah 29, 11? I like that one. Yeah, me too. Uh, but I want to make sure we're living according to the actual words of Jeremiah 29, 11. What, what does Jeremiah 29, 11 say? How does it start? For I know... The plans I have for you, says the Lord. All right, let's see the rest of it. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I want to prosper you. I don't want to harm you. I want to give you a hope and a future. And then you'll call upon me, and you'll come and pray to me, and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. So this is a very simple truth, that God has a wonderful plan for us. And that's the sticking point. God has a wonderful plan for us. Our role is not to make our own plans and then try to get God to sign off on them. No, he has the plan. Our, our part in Jeremiah 29 11 is what? To seek after him wholeheartedly in order to receive that blessing, the blessing of God's plan for our life. I think some people claim Jeremiah 29 11, but this is actually what they're living. I know the plans I have for myself, they say. And God, uh, here's what I've decided to do, and I'm going to ask you to, to bless me and prosper me and protect me. So let me ask you a question. What are your big plans lately? Some of us, uh, depending on what number we are on the Enneagram, some of us really like to plan ahead. Uh, so what are your 
plans? What are the big things that are out there that you'd like to be working on? The question is, did those plans emerge after spending time with God, or did you just think those up on your own? Because the Bible's full of stories of people who did or did not do this correctly. Plenty of warnings out there. Uh, You know, David said, I think I'll go up on the roof and just look around today. Now, that plan didn't come from the Lord. Moses said, I think I'll go over and, and, and yell at everybody and then hit this rock with a stick. That'll be great. Uh, no, I don't think so. But then Joshua marched around Jericho and the walls fell down, not because Joshua thought of it, but God said, this is the plan. How about you? What will your, your story be? Will you continue to be the person who thinks that you're so smart that you can come up with your own plan for your family, your company, uh, or will you learn to consult the Lord and say, I don't know the plan, but I know that you know the plan. And the plan will be to prosper me and for my safety and for my future. And, uh, and, and so I want to know what you want me to do. All right, back to the wilderness uh, where the Spirit of God was dwelling with his people. And when, when he would move, they would move. And where he settled, they settled. Uh, and really, the wilderness was such a unique season in Israel's history. Uh, Egypt was behind them. But the promised land was way off in the future. And if you're familiar with the story, you know that they wandered in this wilderness a long time. Egypt had been their home, and as terrible as slavery was, it was familiar to them. And sometimes we miss the familiar, and we forget that it was familiar, but it wasn't that great. Because when we're out there in the unknown, uh, and especially an unknown wilderness, where now it's, it's not dealing with the Egyptian masters, it's dealing with the hot sun and the scorpions and wondering if we're going to uh, find water and needing the presence of God, uh, not as a luxury, but as a necessity so that we can just survive. But I envy them, uh, not the scorpions, not searching for water, not the scorching heat, not the monotonous taste of manna. I just envy how the wilderness stripped them of anything unnecessary. Uh, I, I imagine they left a trail of things that they had thought were necessary when they left Egypt. But then the longer they were in the wilderness, they, just, they would continue to shed things that they didn't feel like carrying. The wilderness can also be wonderful because civilization is just so noisy. And uh, in the wilderness, you can hear more clearly, you can see more clearly, the sunsets are beautiful. The night sky is so bright without the, the light pollution. Uh, a cool drink of fresh water is such a sweet thing. Uh, a, a simple meal cooked over a campfire, so satisfying. But the wilderness still is a wilderness. It's a time of uncertainty. It's a time of danger. It's a time when you don't have the luxuries. So what happens is the wilderness becomes a metaphor for these seasons of life we find ourselves in where circumstances have reduced us to survival, living one day at a time. So let me ask you, have you ever gone through a season in your life that you would look back on and say, that was a wilderness? You know what I'm talking about? That was a, that was a wilderness I was in there. That was a desert. Uh, and there's so many, so many seasons like this. Maybe it was when you lost your job unexpectedly and you just didn't know what was next. Uh, maybe it was when your parents got divorced. Maybe it was that doctor's appointment when you first heard the word cancer. Uh, wilderness 
times. Maybe it was when you went through an emotional, uh, mental upheaval, and panic attacks, anxiety, depression, uh, debilitating, fear. Uh, maybe your wilderness was this never-ending grind of taking care of someone who can't take care of themselves. And you wonder, is this ever going to be end? Or is this, is, is this, is what, uh, is this what I will always be doing. The, the wilderness is, are, is a season that you would have never chosen for yourself. And each of us is on a different journey, but none of us avoids the wilderness. It's a part of life, a, a necessary part, even though sometimes it confuses us why God has allowed us to be pushed out here into this desert and why he doesn't rescue us. Yeah, I don't know. I know, I, I know that when I was in a wilderness, the worst thing would be when people would give me advice, uh, even scriptures, you know. Well, you know, pastor, all things work together for good. And i just like, yeah, all things like my fist and your nose. Uh, how about you go somewhere else with your platitudes? You obviously have never been through anything like this. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but then again, you can't just sit around feeling sorry for yourself because you're in this wilderness. And, uh, and, and honestly, I don't know how it was for you, but when I went through some of my hardest times, asking why never worked. I never got the why answers. Uh, it was more just like God saying, I'm here, I'm with you. Uh, and I go, yeah, but why are you allowing this? You know, well, that's why again. Uh, I'm here. And you're going to be fine, uh, and don't, don't get lost out here. Stay, stay very close. And don't despair, because you will feel my presence closer here than after you come out uh, of this time. Usually when we're in a wilderness time, we don't get a whole lot of answers, except that God is with us, and God is faithful. And what does happen when we come out is we realize that the wilderness has decluttered and reprioritized um, our life, how, how easy it is now to separate a need from a want, a luxury from a necessity, and how much simpler our dependency on God becomes in a wilderness because it's so, so hourly uh, during those times um, that when, what we crave the most is just knowing that he hasn't abandoned us. Sometimes we come out of the wilderness, scrub clean of old habits and old ways of thinking uh, that never included God enough. We lost some things, but we gained some things, including a better awareness of self and a deeper relationship with God's Holy Spirit. So if you're right now in a wilderness, I'd like to say a couple of things to you. None of them are really along the lines of advice. First of all, I just want to say good for you for coming to church. Good for you. Because some people, when they're in a wilderness time, they just stay in bed and bury their head. And isolation is one of the worst things you can do when you're in it, going through a tough time. But it's hard sometimes when you're going through a tough time to be around people who obviously aren't going through a tough time. And you see how happy they look and everything, and you want to just, you know, just avoid them. But here you are in church. And even those of you that are online watching, good for you. Because you're allowing the Holy Spirit to be in that wilderness uh, with you. And... Uh, because something is telling you to find God during this time and stay very close to him. You know, this season had a beginning, and it will also have an ending. And when it's over, you'll understand what the words of Jeremiah 29, 11 really mean. Now, back to the Exodus wilderness, uh, where we meet the people who survived it and eventually escaped it. We meet a group that experienced the presence of God dwelling in their midst, the Holy Spirit. 
and they put up this portable worship structure. You know about this, this, this kind of fancy tent they put up out in the wilderness? You know about this? It's called the, the tabernacle. Uh, God had said to Moses, make a, a, a sanctuary for me, a tabernacle, where I will dwell among you. And God gave them a complex design for a portable worship center that could be packed up and moved whenever they, they moved, set up wherever they made camp. It was, uh, it was very specific in his design that God handed Moses. Every part of it had deep meaning. Um, there are scholars who've dedicated years of focus on each and every part. And at the core of the tabernacle was the holy place and the holy of holies where God's spirit rested on the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the little room known as the Holy of Holies was so saturated with God's concentrated, uh, concentrated presence the common people couldn't enter for their own safety. Uh, the priest would consecrate himself and he would enter with the blood of the lamb and the very thick curtain kept everyone else out of this little room. Uh, because they weren't supposed to come in to the intensity of God's presence. And for 40 years in the wilderness, this is how God's spirit stayed at the very center of Israel. So then Israel settled in Jerusalem, and a few hundred years passed, and they quickly forgot their need for the Holy Spirit uh, in their center, and the tabernacle became dilapidated, and the Ark of the Covenant even got lost for a long time. They found it in this guy's barn, uh, and eventually King Solomon built the first temple, which was really just a luxurious, permanent tabernacle. But still, it was only the priests who would pass through the thick curtain in the temple with the incense and the blood sacrifice. Uh, so now you fast forward a thousand years from Solomon and several temple renovations later, and the Son of God himself shows up on planet Earth. Uh, with, with Jesus now, the Son of God, they are experiencing God's presence in the flesh. And, and those that knew and figured out who he was, like Peter who said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and like those that were ill, you know, they would realize who he was. He was God on earth. Uh, and then on that Passover afternoon when Jesus uh, died on that cross, something spectacular happened in the temple. Do you know about this? As he died, the moment he gave up his life, that thick barrier, the curtain that had for centuries kept people out of the Holy of Holies, tore from top to bottom, as if God's hands had just ripped it apart. And soon it became clear to Christ followers why that had happened, because that curtain that had separated people from God's Holy Spirit was no longer necessary. Uh, as Christ died, he became the blood sacrifice because Jesus, the Lamb of God, had been sacrificed, offering himself to purchase access to, to, to God's presence for anyone who would receive it. So there was no longer a need for sacrifice, and therefore there was no longer a need for a temple. Uh, Jesus was sending his Holy Spirit now to dwell inside a new holy of holies, human beings. A new human temple. Christ's followers would become the new wilderness tabernacle containing God's presence. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth. You are God's tabernacle. God's spirit lives inside of you. This is not just true of the New Testament gatherings. This is about our meetings as well, Cornerstone. When we gather on the weekends, when we gather in our community groups, the Holy Spirit arrives and gathers 
with us. He's there to teach us. He's there to gift us. He's there to comfort us. Um, and he's there uh, to be in our presence. Uh, without the Holy Spirit among us, we're just a group of nice people getting together for cookies. And cookies are great. But we have so much more with as Christians because we have the Holy Spirit with us and even in us and we become a tabernacle in an East Bay wilderness where God dwells with us. That makes us a tribe unlike any other because our God is with us 24-7. Listen to the Apostle Paul when he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Each of us is a clay pot full of the fire of the Holy Spirit. And you know, as, as we preachers have spoken to you this last month about the Holy Spirit, this is the one thing that has continually amazed me the most and something I hope to never take for granted again, that I am a vessel of God's Holy Spirit. Not because I'm a pastor and not because uh, I deserve it, but just because God wants it. God wants to be with me and in me. And so he fills me. And when we come together, we become a tabernacle full of the presence of the Holy Spirit. God lives in our gatherings. So I was reminded of a story. Want to hear a story? A few years ago, Brent and I went to Guatemala. And Guatemala is amazing. Volcanoes, and it's just really cool culture. Uh, and uh, we went with Compassion International, so we were at these locations where they are literally these centers of ministry where they're reaching out to the poorest of the poor. And they're through the children, they're, they're, they're eradicating poverty one family at a time. So Compassion International, all over the world now, they have over 2 million families that they have, they're beating poverty in those families' lives through the children. So we just had a great time. We were at one of the Compassion Centers, uh, when something spectacular and dangerous happened. Uh, so we were there all day, and the kids were showing off everything they had learned. And they were showing off how they learned to cook, and they were making us these pastries, and they, how they learned to paint, and they were selling us paintings, and how they learned to, to weave. And there was this beautiful, colorful Guatemalan uh, textiles that these children were making. And then they had learned accounting and, and all kinds of business skills. It was unbelievable what they were being taught. And also they were healthy because they were getting a meal every day. And it was just the best. So then they had this program where we all sit and watch the kids do a program. And it was awesome. These songs and these dances and different groups came up. And the final song was this group of seven or eight-year-olds. And the girls were all decked out in these beautiful dresses that were kind of wide, you know. And the girls were just sashing. You just put a dress on a girl and she just automatically, you know. And the boys, they had these white shirts and these red vests. And they're just dancing around. And the boys were carrying something, well, actually swinging something. And I noticed it was like, what are they swinging? And it was these pots, but the pots were smoking. And I figured out from the decorations that the song was about a volcano, because we're in volcano territory in Guatemala. And, and so the boys had these pots, and I don't know who thought this was a good idea. 
because inside of the pots was something burning, like a coal or a piece of firewood. I don't know, because the pots were smoking, and the boys were just loving, just leaving a trail of smoke wherever they went. They got up on that stage, which was made of old wood, and on top of it was all this flammable tissue paper with all the decorations. For Pete's sake, the kids' clothes were flammable. And there they were dancing, so it was only a matter of time before that stage was on fire. I'm talking on fire. And we pastors are sitting there going, oh, this isn't going to be good. You know, they must not have a fire marshal down here. And we're watching, watching. And all of a sudden, man, when we started seeing flames on that stage, we, program or not, we jumped up on that stage and we're grabbing kids. And the kids were looking at us like, what's the big deal? It's just a little fire. I mean, their kitchens burn down about every three years. They're like, this is nothing, you know. And we're just like, save the children. And uh, the program ended and it was just a blast. And we, uh, you know, talk about going out with a bang. Just burn the stage down at the end of the show. <clears throat> so it wasn't until years later, <clears throat> actually recently, when I realized that this story was a metaphor. Uh, uh, I read Paul again, and he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay containing the very presence of God. And I remembered those Guatemalan boys that day, and I thought about us. Think about it, Cornerstone. If you've received God's Spirit, that fiery presence of the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Just get out there and dance around a little bit. And if anything's flammable, it'll catch fire. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know. It worked for me. <laughs> All right, one more thought before we ask the Holy Spirit again for a fresh baptism of, the, of His Spirit, and we'll see if the stage catches fire uh, but the, what I want to talk about is how the Holy Spirit dwells in us uh, in those wilderness times, but especially when we're going through really hard times, but specifically when those that we love are going through hard times. Because sometimes it's easier to go through a hard time yourself than to have a loved one struggling. Uh, and I've noticed recently how negative situations among people that I love really pull me to, into it emotionally. And something that someone else is going through, and I can feel anxious, I can feel disturbed, I can feel off balance, uh, frustrated, helpless. And recently I've, I, I've kind of likened it to a, a feeling of being unmoored, like a boat, uh, on, like say on the eastern seaboard today with that hurricane coming through. And, and boy, if that boat's not anchored in there, it's going to be everywhere. And I have felt like that as I've watched, uh, and just recently, uh, I have close friends who tried and tried and tried, and they finally are divorcing, and there's no talking them out of it. I have another friend who we prayed and prayed and prayed, and she died, and I have another friend whose child is, is really struggling with their own uh, mental, uh, well, mental illness, and, uh, and, 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 and all of these things were, are happening kind of at the same time, and I found myself feeling very anxious, and that pit of, that in your stomach, where you want to fix something for someone else. And, uh, and the effect on it leaves me feeling unmoored. Um, if it was just one thing or two things, I'd be fine. But all of it together, and next thing I know, I've been calling out to Jesus, who's not solving their situations, but then I get to the thing, well, Lord, you're going to have to, I need to feel like I'm on solid ground so I can be a good friend to uh, my friends. So where I want him to fix the problems, he ends up having to fix me. And what I've been asking him to do is to tighten my anchors 
uh, so that I will, in, in, the, in someone else's storm, I'm in there with them, and that I will be able to be a help to them um, and uh, take my anchor back to the hope that I have in Christ. Uh, like the writer of Hebrews taught us, uh, we who flee for refuge can receive strong encouragement to seize uh, the, the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives, uh, safe and secure, entering the, the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus has entered there on our behalf. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross and he went into the spiritual holy of holies, he anchored my soul in the very presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, whether or not it feels anchored at times, it still is. And uh, so when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, it wasn't just so that I would be a better witness or have gifts that, where I could love other people. He also sent the Holy Spirit to create a solid ground for me emotionally to be anchored to. And, uh, you know, when life doesn't make sense. And so that what I would say to you, if you're in that situation today where life doesn't make sense, Good for you for coming to church because now the Holy Spirit is going to soak you in his presence again uh, as we pray together. Um, the Holy Spirit who is right here with us is going to not only comfort you but fill you with himself. And uh, uh, whether you're the one in the wilderness or it's your friend and you're in their wilderness with them, God's Holy Spirit came today to minister to you. And... Uh, in a, moment, in a moment, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you again. But first, I want to read you that passage out of Corinthians. It's really powerful. And I think you should even close your eyes so you're not distracted. And I'm going to read you what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Hold your hands out now and just receive a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, we know you can hear us and we know that you're here. We pray now that every person who can hear my voice would now receive a fresh baptism in your spirit. You know, Lord, how when we go out into this wilderness of ours, we get dry and empty, dehydrated. We pray that your Holy Spirit now would, would fill us, baptize us, soak us, in your presence. Don't let us just rush off to the next thing, but to sit even in your presence for just a minute or two longer and allow you to do therapy 
on us. Pour your personality, your very essence into us as clay pots. Re-energize us and prepare us for whatever this week will hold. 